0: Welcome back to Unleashed at Work and Home, the podcast dedicated to helping pet professionals feel less stress and find more joy in their daily lives. And today's a special episode. It's episode number fifty. I can't believe we've made it to number fifty. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> so in celebration of that, there had been a request that we do a turnabout episode in which someone interviews me. And the person I invited to interview me is Tina Spring of Sit Happens Dog Training and Behavior because she is an awesome interviewer and so much fun that I thought it was <laughs> great to talk to her. So welcome, Tina.
1: Well, thank you for having me. I'm I'm honored that you would ask me to interview you.
0: I'm a little nervous because I get to be in control on Unleashed at Work and Home, and I get to ask all the questions. So there is this whole part of me that goes, uh-oh,
1: <laughs> here we <laughs> go. So, so we were already learning things about Colleen. <laughs> Indeed. Indeed. <laughs> Well, the good news is you have the power of the edit button. So there we go. <laughs> Just not much skill with it. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's one of the things I actually, your show has turned me on to podcasting. And so I'm listening to a bunch of podcasts. I know you asked on the group page the other day, is there a podcast we listen to? And I've, I've like totally fallen for some of those podcasts, I'm like, okay, some of these have just real magic, even just from a downtime, taking care of myself, quieting my brain kind of perspective. Mm -hmm. Not even, I mean, I know there's really good enrichment professionally, and I think that's great, but I don't know about you, I read a lot of that stuff anyway. So
0: yeah. But podcasts are great because they can deliver content to you when you're doing something else, riding in the car or whatever. But they're also so niche that you can find a podcast about anything. If you're passionate about knitting toadstools, you could probably find a podcast that's perfect for you.
1: Right. And like, who knew that my particular swirl of weird turns out to be a genre? (laughs) I also like like I'm not spending a ton of money to go. Nope, not that one. Nope, not that Mm -hmm. one. So I can just try them on for size and go. Yeah, no, that's not for me. All right. Well, let's let's get this interview on the road. Okay. We'll we'll see if my crossover trainerness shows up. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So my first question is very, very serious, very serious. And and y'all, I sent Colleen the questions earlier. So the first thing we're going to do is we're going to grill her a little bit. So did you read them? The
0: question. I did read them. <laughs>
1: That's as far as it went. Pretty much. I tried to warn you. Okay. So my first question is, what is your go-to order at your favorite hometown restaurant?
0: I thought this was a funny question because I am so not a foodie. I am the world's pickiest eater. And at every restaurant I go to, there's like one thing on the menu that I'll eat. So my favorite meal at my favorite hometown restaurant, there's a little place called Milano's nearby, and it's sort of a Greek-Italian mix. And what I get is the all-American hot ham and cheese sub, no tomato, no onion, with French fries. So my husband tries all of the other things every time he gets something different, and I get a hot ham and cheese sub with French fries. I'm very predictable, but it makes me happy.
1: So, But I think that's kind of beautiful, right? So it's funny, when when Christopher and I were dating, there was a point that I was like, you know what, we're going to see if he pays attention at all. And so we went to a restaurant that neither of us had been to. And I just kind of slid the menu to him and said, pick something out. (laughs) It required a level of bravery that I don't often have. And he chose really awesome stuff for me. But yeah, you and I have discussed how you're really, really not a foodie. Though I don't know if you remember, like one of the first real conversations you and I had was over lunch at a restaurant that we were both looking for something kind of, I don't know, maybe a little bit like high maintenance on the low maintenance side, like <laughs> a plain salad, like
0: none of the crazy in it. So yeah. So I don't know, maybe it was salad bonding. Salads are tricky for me. There's a whole lot of stuff people throw in a salad that right? I don't really like want don't anymore. throw cucumbers in there.
1: In a lot of places, it's all pre-packaged, so yeah. I spend my whole meal picking all the things out that I either can or won't eat or don't mm. want to eat.
0: And it, some of them have left residue. Like yes. a sliced tomato cannot simply be removed. I know. No. And
1: neither <laughs> neither can cucumber, because a molecule of cucumber, it's in there mm-hmm. permanently. <laughs> and it's always in the last bite. I'm like, oh, I made it through the, oh, and now it's right. All right. So good answer. Hot ham and cheese with no <laughs> tomato. Or onion. Yeah, Good to know. Did you like the toffee I sent you?
0: I did like the toffee you sent me.
1: Oh, well, that's good to know. Okay. So um, what do you wish you had known when you started out?
0: When I started as a dog trainer, it would have been supremely helpful for me to have known that some of the amazing, extraordinary star dog trainers that I knew and interacted with had self-doubt. That would have been so helpful to me because it might have made me feel safer to say, I'm not sure what I'm doing. <laughs> because they're, when you're being paid to go give someone an answer, you're expected to have an answer. And I had and still have so much to learn about dogs. So it would have been it would have been so helpful to me in the beginning to realize other people had moments of doubt or or insecurities. And that comes up a lot in my discussions with pet pros where they go like, oh, I'm not good enough or I don't know enough or I need more. And I think, ah, people don't know this. People don't realize how many really extraordinary, very, very competent people are kind of struggling through imposter syndrome.
1: So I, I know when I'm teaching apprentices, one of the things we talk about is not any of us, not any of us know at all, right? And that it is perfectly appropriate and kind to say, you know what, I don't know, but I'll I'll do some research and get back to you. Mm-hmm. I, I honestly like the scariest trainers and and other pet professionals too, the scariest ones I meet are the ones that don't have a second of self doubt. Yeah. And I'm like, "Oh, we have arrived at dangerous."
0: Mhm.
1: Because, you know, the the one thing dogs are really good at is being inconsistent. <laughs> right? And teaching us, sometimes even just teaching us about ourselves. So, yeah, I'm always a little afraid. Um I I again, like you and I have known each other a long time and there's so much I admire about you. And I just admire that you authentically show up vulnerably as who you are and that you've never come across as like, Hey, I'm me. I knew, I know all of the things.
0: It's because I'm well aware that I don't know all the things.
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think you and I are both very clear that it is a practice.
0: It is a practice.
1: Like even that silly puppy that you're trying to get the sit. <laughs> Sometimes taking that journey with their little brain and body is really fun. And sometimes (laughs) that's the magic. All right. So what are you curious about right now? Like Colleen Pilar today, where, where does your great curiosity lie?
0: Well, I think I'm the world's best library user. I always have a million books on hold at the library. So, one that is waiting for me is called Dying for a Paycheck. And it's about how stress and money issues get intertwined. You know, that businesses sometimes focus too much on more measurable pieces than the wellness of their employees. So that's sort of on my nerd alert side. I'm interested in anything that's sort of about adult development. I'm taking a course right now in the stages of adult development and going through all of that. And in terms of my own personal development, I have signed up for two art classes this fall that I'm curious to to explore art as a creative outlet again, because I've always loved art, but I've always had a high level of judgment about the art that I produce. So I don't necessarily enjoy the product So I'm hoping to learn to lean into the experience. And so I'm trying to approach that with the beginner's mind and a little bit of curiosity too, and to sort of say, to learn how in some of these techniques might give me more pleasure in the experience, which will probably create an outcome that I enjoy more too.
1: So I don't know, like here, you know, we're in a college town. So we have like the drink beer or wine and paint. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. And there they're I was so the first one, I was like dragged kicking and screaming. I was like, please do not do this to me. Cause I'm not a big drinker. So that wasn't really gonna be a piece of it for me. And then it was just it was really intimidating. And so I think I've done it either two or three times now with different different people. And it's funny, I'm never happy with the outcome. And yet I bring it home. And other people, if they you know, or in my office or whatever and see this, you know, $35 waste of art supplies. They're like, that's amazing. And I'm always, I think to myself like, huh, like what, I wonder what that is. I don't think we have that when we're little kids. Yeah, Like when we're little kids and we're drawing the tree and the bird and the bird's twice as big as the tree. Like, I don't know. There was a freedom in that time.
0: That's related to comparison because they have done studies on that. And and if you ask kindergartners, are you good at art? Almost all of them raise their hands. Yes, I am. And if you ask second graders, the number is significantly lower because there comes a time that they start hearing other people being praised for their product. Like, oh, Timothy, what a beautiful tree you did. Look at, you know, the bark that you've done on it. And then the child would look at her own paper and go, Oh, mine doesn't have beautiful bark like Timothy's, you know? So instead of looking at your own product, you are now much more in a comparison state. And it it happens right in that little window between kindergarten and second grade. There's a big, big shift. It's just sad.
1: So, you know, that makes me think, though, none of the people who see my dorky, weird rendition of a painting see the one that the instructor for the class Mm -hmm. created. They only see my dorky one, Mm -hmm. which standing on its own. I mean, I don't know. Maybe they're comparing it to, you know, their oversized bird and tiny little tree in their mind that they think they would create. So, yeah. I don't know. I used to enjoy art. I don't anymore. And I think it's I get too stiff and too
0: Yeah. Me too.
1: So, yeah. So, I I often think like that might be a good thing to try on at some point. Just pick a medium I hadn't worked in and try it, but
0: I yeah, know. that's something I'm hoping to, to work on this fall.
1: <laughs> I have lots of intimidating hobbies. So. <laughs> right. so, a little bit tougher one what's something you failed at?
0: A, a little over a year ago, I wanted to hold a workshop for the staffs of local vet clinics and just have it. I found a, a facility and I advertised it and promoted it. I went, I did in person visits to like 40 some vet clinics uh, twice and mailed them something. And I was hoping to have this workshop maximum number of 25 people or something. And I got one and I was sad. I was like, Oh, this isn't right. This isn't maybe, maybe I'm not supposed to be doing this. And what I realized is there's, It's complex. All this is so complex, but time and money are huge issues for all pet professionals. So there were people who were like, This is awesome, but I work on Tuesdays. (laughs) Oh, okay. Well, it's on Tuesdays. And it was a three night thing, it was a three part thing because I wanted to give people a chance to try something and come back and share what they'd learned and then come back and share what they'd learned again. So that's me with my perfect vision of how this should be. But it was not familiar to people. It wasn't the typical pattern. It had a set number of times. Like you couldn't come to just one of the three. You had to come to all three. And so in the time that I was promoting it and thinking, this is awesome and this is amazing and this is going to be so much fun, and then it flopped, I was I was discouraged. I felt like, oh, maybe I maybe this isn't right. And I think... Upon reflection, what I realized was the content is right and the audience is right, but the delivery wasn't. I need to find a way to reach people that's easy, easy for people because pet professionals are busy and tired and have tight budgets. And so we've got to make it all very, very easy and actionable.
1: Well, I I think it's scary. Like, am I going to be in a room where I have to talk about all the really crazy, uncomfortable
0: stuff? Right. Because there's a lot of really uncomfortable stuff. There is a lot of really uncomfortable stuff. And I was sort of an unknown for many of these people too. So the the one person who signed up is someone who already knew who I was. So she knew that I was not going to put her in a situation where she would be uncomfortable.
1: So I wonder if it's a little bit like what we bump into, like as family pause practitioners, where people don't necessarily think they need help until it's at a like really serious crisis stage I wonder if there's a little bit of that too like how do you you and I have talked about this with like kids and dog stuff right the person who's letting their kid hug their really uncomfortable dog over and over and over again it's really like I I struggle like do you say something because they just get mad and they, and, and it's, and you're, and I'm butting in, which I, I prefer not to do, but it's also really dangerous. And I feel burdened to not do it because I, everybody's intentions are really good. And yet it's, uh. yeah. so that's, I think for lots of us, anything where you're like, you put a bunch of energy and effort in and you're super excited. And then like, eh, yeah, that would have been crippling for a lot of people proof to, of your resiliency. Cause yeah, that would have been, <laughs> that's a tough one. It
0: was a tough one. It was a tough one.
1: I'm glad you soldiered on.
0: I did. Cause I, because I had more ideas. Like I was able to see what Susan Garrett's phrase, you either, you either win or you learn, you know? And so I was like, well, I didn't win, but I did learn. I learned a lot from that. And, and I had new ideas and maybe my current ideas won't work. We'll see, but I'm I'm excited about them and diving in with those too, which is awesome.
1: Well, and look at all the context you made, like maybe more farming, less hunting, mm-hmm. you know, it, the fact, so I know how introverted you are and <laughs> how difficult it is going to 40 some clinics twice. And going, hi, right? I know that yeah, was She's awful. In her car going, <laughs> we're going in, I'm going in. It's like, they're not going to kill me. Going in, I'm going <laughs> Oh, she sees me I so can, clearly. I can, I can have some sort of food treat when I'm done. <laughs> All of the I don't have treats. to do it again <laughs> if I just do it this time, right? So yeah, like I, because I'm, I'm pretty social and I still don't like, I mean, I've been in practice you know, since the early 1700s and it's, I don't, I don't like going and doing that. Like it's, oh, it's so uncomfortable. Mm -hmm. So bully you. I actually think you won in a whole bunch of ways. So, and, and honestly, if that's the biggest failure you ever have, like you go girl (laughs) because that one person who showed up got a hell of a show and a ton of help (laughs) and, and yeah, they all missed out. All right. So what makes resilience in the animal related services so important?
0: I think one of the biggest challenges is that no matter how much you do, you are never, ever, ever going to serve every animal in need in your community. So you could work 24 hours a day for the rest of your life and you won't ever get to say done. Yay, I'm done. Everything's perfect. And so people are really drawn to the work because they care about their mission and you can't finish. There's no finish line. We're like cats chasing a laser pointer. There's no win. You know, we get a win. We get this little win, but then we move on because then the laser pointer moved. There's not uh sometimes it's harder to make the wins last and internalize them and feel the impact of everything you do when you turn around and see another animal in need. And so I think it it starts to wear on people and they start to feel discouraged and then often start to wish they cared less. And sometimes with the exhaustion and the tiredness, they do start caring less. They at least wall off the parts of them that care so deeply and don't access those. And become kind of tired, cranky, and often burned out. And if we lose people to other careers or even worse, to suicide, which happens quite often, we all lose. We all lose. So if we could find a way to help us all recognize that We're not going to hit the finish line, but that the work we're doing does matter. And to help people see it and feel it and feel appreciated. I mean, I think, you know, all pet pros are sort of overworked and undervalued. They're not seeing that the world is going, yay, there's a dog trainer. Yay, there's a vet tech. Yay, a groomer. My gosh, that's amazing. That's not what happens. (laughs) There are no parades. Right. I've been
1: in practice long enough that I have some families who now are coming back to me like for a third time. Mm -hmm. And I'm always stunned like at orientation when they like chime in about some activity and go, okay, y'all. So we thought she was nuts when she (laughs) taught us this the first time. But this like every day with our dog was better because of this one nugget of information. And if if you don't learn anything else from her, learn this. It's weird. It's like an out of body experience. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wait, you listen to me? Mm Because I think sometimes it does, it feels like string and beads without a knot in the end. And I think the, so like our artwork, right? Like all the things that I see that I didn't get accomplished for that, that dog or relieved for that dog or or made better for that family. I think that stuff sticks with you more. Where it's like, oh, if we could have just nailed this. Yeah. I have tried to reframe it, not so much that I need to care less, because I don't think that would be good, but that I need to maybe adjust my expectations and remind myself what that family and that dog want. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that helps. Sometimes it doesn't because sometimes I'm like what that dog wanted was a completely separate family. And sometimes honestly what that family wanted was a completely different dog, but sometimes going, okay, well, better is better. Yes. Progress and is progress.
0: Also recognizing that just cause we had a conversation that didn't, didn't make the shift we were hoping would happen at that time doesn't mean that the shift won't happen. So people need time to think things through and to contemplate and ponder and say, does this work for me? And well, that sounded crazy when she said it, but maybe, or this is now the fourth time I've heard it. And you were the one who said it first. And then on the fourth time they hear it, they go, ah, oh, okay. That they had time to to internalize it and absorb. And, And it's easy for us, I think, to get discouraged of like, I had a conversation and the shift didn't occur. Darn it. I failed. Well,
1: sometimes we are magical and the shift does occur, which is right. awesome. And other times it's like, okay, I said, like I did all the things and it didn't. I think the hardest is when I can see how amazing it could be. Mm-hmm. And then I, see where, and then sometimes I see where we land and I'm like, Oh y'all like you're missing the best of it.
0: Yeah. I think it's tough because I think we can see a different reality than than what the family has or can even see. Like they can't see what we see. And so that can be very tough. And you know, people are busy. They're dealing with so much stuff yes. that that We understand the importance of of all of the pieces of caring for your animals and and making them a part of the family, but there are a lot of people who just don't realize what all that needs to be, you know? Like, right. And and I, I often use the analogy of the plumber. Like, that seems to be my go to one of like, if you just brought a professional plumber into my house, odds are really good that that person will be able to walk through the house and have 10 things that they were like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe the sink trap under your kitchen sink is not properly aligned. And I just walk around oblivious all day long, not knowing that that is right. happening. And they go out with their friends and they go, can you believe what, what happened there? And so for any profession, there are there's an advanced level of knowledge that we see as sort of the bare minimum that people should have but the people don't have it. <laughs> so our bare minimum is actually a high lift for a lot of people.
1: Yeah, yeah. It's funny. I For a long time, I didn't do a ton of private work. I did a lot of group work and I didn't do board and train because that's fraught too. And I watch my business shift over time based on what I have the energy for. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes group classes fill you up and sometimes group classes are like, you know, a fork to the eyeball. And it's not, and honestly, it has nothing to do with the participants. I'm just learning it has to do with where I am. Yeah. Sometimes that's just too much all at once. Mm -hmm. And I need to better focus on the individual triumphs that I can have one-on-one with a family and typically work myself out of a job. All right. So tell me what Resilience means to you.
0: Well, I think I think the really important thing about resilience is to sort of recognize that everyone is resilient. Like humans are naturally resilient, animals are naturally resilient. We do. Everyone deals with stress, and we all kind of get through it. But one of the challenges is we kind of have this baseline of like fine, and uh, natural resilience will bring you back to fine. In most cases, and we want to develop the skill set and the mindset to move above fine, to have more of the good stuff, and to make the good stuff last and stick better. Because our brains really are wired to pay attention to the bad stuff, which keeps us alive. It keeps us fine. Here we are, fine and alive. Yay! Um, so, for me, what what resilience? really means is leaning into it as a practice like like you said earlier that um, there are going to be good days there are going to be bad days and recognizing that that's normal and natural and absolutely part of life but that working on your skill set and your mindset can make the good days better and the bad days easier there's there is magic in that understanding what's happening with the stories you're telling yourself and the sensations in your body even.
1: Well, and I, I don't know when you and I were at the last family pause conference, I'm sure that you s- stayed for Dr. Friedman because mm-hmm. you wouldn't stay for Dr. Friedman. But <laughs> it was really am- there was a, there was a piece of it that I was like, oh, this is a good reminder that where I am in my skin, in my heart, in my soul, in my energy totally and completely changes and impacts every other thing that has behavior around me. Yes. Whether I think I'm shielding them or not. And so if my anxiety, if my just being bone weary is like a big cancer, I do think that the people and the animals around us, Internalize that and it Mm -hmm. impacts them. It does. And so sometimes that means, and you and I have talked about this, like sometimes that means I am not fit for public consumption. (laughs) And those calls or emails or conversations will just have to happen another day because I need to, you know, go for a drive or listen to a fun podcast or do something else that day. I wish I had known to do that early in my career before I was drowning. Yeah. Right. To know that, like, I just, I'm becoming keenly aware that, yeah, like fatiguing myself to the point I have means that there's a whole bunch of people I'm not helping. Mm -hmm. When maybe if I had paced myself a little bit and done some better maintenance, I might not be where I am. So.
0: Yeah. And really recognizing and honoring That choice of, you know, I'm going to go for a ride or I'm going to go do something that we are tempted to beat ourselves up for. Like, I should be working, but I've gone for a drive. Oh, that's terrible. No, no, no. I could be working poorly because I'm stressed and and frazzled and stuff. Or I could make the deliberate choice to go for a drive and clear my head. And then when I come back, I will choose the absolute most important pieces of what needs to get done. And I'll just do those. And the other stuff, will poof. I mean, it, it does. There, there are things that fall through the cracks. And, and okay, I'm choosing to let those ones go because I needed to focus on the best way to recenter myself today and then do good work for the stuff that really does matter. And that this the understanding and self of compassion involved in that is really tricky for so many people. That comes up a lot in coaching calls where people are like, oh yesterday I completely wasted the day. I just watched Netflix and like and why do you think you needed to do that? Because they needed it at that point. And if you needed it, then you needed it. But we need to work on not always needing it.
1: Right. And would they, would they judge somebody else about it? The other Mm -hmm. thing I will say, and I I tell apprentices this all the time too, or new instructors, like anything you teach them, blesses them. It's something they didn't know that Mm -hmm. you you can't download your brain into somebody else. So sometimes there is a little bit of it. So people, if it's, if it's the new customer and they don't know that I have sparkles, (laughs) then if I don't have the energy that day, to bring sparkles. They can earn sparkles, you know, less than two. Like honestly, my horrible is better than a lot of people's best game. And like that, that sounds really arrogant, but I've been doing this a really long time. I know lots of the things, you know. So a lot of this I could mm-hmm. phone in a little bit and go, okay, so the bare bones we're going to do this. And then we do that. And it's still good teaching and it's still really good for the dogs. And it's really good for the family. It just doesn't have maybe a swirl of magic that most of the time I would have performed great. But today the cost of doing that is just too high. It means I'm going to not have anything for my family or I'm going to be yelling at other drivers or yeah. Or, or I'm not going to sleep that night because it's running through my head all the time. So I, I am learning that like, like a nice seven is good. I don't always have to bring the world of 58.
0: I think that's really such a powerful thing for people to lean into. Because we do know what it looks like when we show up at our very, very best. And then we hold that as the bar of, of where we need to be. And no one can show up at that level all the time. And sevens are awesome. Like a seven's pretty good. It's, it's meeting everyone's needs. It's getting things done. It's productive. It's, you know, clearing things forward, but it's, and, and we would absolutely give people we cared about permission to show up at a seven on, on these situations, but we sometimes withhold it from ourselves.
1: I would joyfully take your seven, right? I, I honestly, I'm getting to a place in just age, you know, being 3,700 years old is hard. I, I'm getting to a point where I am starting to recognize, for example, if I friend to friend contact you and I'm like, hey, I need to talk about something, I've got this case, whatever, and you and I are spitballing that, I am starting to become keenly aware of the cost of expecting your best work every single time to you. Like often I I'm like, you know what? You can totally give me like a solid five because your solid five is better than most people's 10. So I will joyfully take the five. Like I don't want to exact a cost on you for helping me. And maybe that's, I don't know, maybe that's like the weird part of, adult development. I'm really curious to see what you learn in the adult development class. Cause that stuff's
0: really interesting. It's very interesting. It's
1: very interesting. Cause I think for me it was like, and you're an adult.
0: Yeah. And now I'm
1: like, Oh, now I'm middle-aged. This is like a total different mess. (laughs) Yes.
0: Yeah. There's some, there are whole different levels of it. Who knew? And 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 specific characteristics that when you start learning, you start going, Oh, oh, that, now, oh that 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 explains so many things I didn't understand before. So yeah, it's it is it's very fascinating to see that. But I think the more we can can really give ourselves permission to the awkward thing is we have the phrase do your best and do your best implies your best, the one with sparkles.
1: It can be the best right now
0: just do your, just do good. <laughs> like, just do good. Um, and I say that, and, and I and I work with clients all the time on that. And I will quite honestly say, I totally have moments where I go, wait, that wasn't your very best. What are you thinking? And, you know, so, so with resilience, one of the pieces is it's a practice. And sometimes you have to stop yourself and catch yourself and go, oh, I got hooked. There I was, hooked and flying away and now I need to come back and start over
1: so you know I don't know that you and I have ever talked about this so like I'm a motorsports person right I have a mm-hmm. motorcycle I have sports cars and I like that technical spirited work and so last year I went and did an event where I thought like I would like to go faster like I would I would like to be better at this. Than I am right now. Mm-hmm. And, but as a motorcyclist, I learned, I want to ride at about 70% of my skill. Because if I'm riding on the edge of my skill, if anything goes badly, it's going to be really bad and potentially, you know, life ending or, or permanently life altering. Right. Mm-hmm. And In a driving cage, it's a little bit different. There's a whole lot more stuff to support you and to keep you safe and all that. And I have great gear and my bike is well maintained and all that stuff. And I am careful. I have a rider coach. I do education. Because if you're going to ride something where people try to kill you in their Yukon, it's important to try to be good at that. But I have never until this moment thought in terms of why am I not doing that professionally? Like if I want to go faster then that means i need to go do some additional education not to so that i can increase my 100% mm-hmm. so that my 70% moves up right not to just use more throttle which i think in if i was to honestly look back at my career my answer has been use up more of my so I'll work mm-hmm. at 98% and then, duh, that when I'm exhausted and I run out of talent, it becomes life-altering or potentially life-ending. Yeah. So I am trying to just be patient with me and to go, okay, so you don't have 100% today. Your 100% is 70% of what it used to be. And that is okay. We're just going to navigate through that.
0: Hmm. So- And-, and- by investing in learning more and stuff you can start increasing what your 100% looks like and then what your 70% looks like without overly stressing you because you can still deliver 70% but because you've created a bigger 100 for you because we all have our own our own measures of these things that's a really valuable thing to do. And I think ties in so beautifully with resilience. In this case, you were talking about actual skill, but um, I think resilience is one of these skills because because it is a practice. And so when we focus on, on doing it, then we can weather the storms a little bit better and we can say this too shall pass or everyone goes through this and this, there's not really something uniquely special about my moment here of difficulty because we all have them and then what will I do? So it's an action-based thought process. So given that situation, whatever it may be, what do I intend to do? And I think for so many of us, when we get tired or discouraged, it's really easy to just do nothing. Like I, there's nothing I can do. I can't, Right. nothing's going to change. And not not doing something is a choice too. So, oh, yeah. <laughs> so really being very intentional and specific about what will I choose to do in this moment? And if you do nothing, then own the fact that you chose to do nothing.
1: Sometimes nothing is the
0: right answer. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, absolutely. But choose it. No. Right. Don't don't do it from the perspective of I think I think we've all gotten
1: that customer call or but not even a customer, like potential call, email, text, whatever that we go. Yeah, no. <laughs> no, no, no. Mm-hmm. I'm just gonna pretend that one got lost in the ionosphere. <laughs> That No, I've seen that. Uh, this is not my first rodeo. <laughs>
0: yeah, And that could be a very intentional and deliberate
1: choice. And I can, I can decide a road is just too dangerous. Mm-hmm. Right. And it can be too dangerous for a whole bunch of different reasons. Right. Like it could just be dangerous to me. It's too distracting for me or whatever. But the same thing can be true for, a, for scenario that come to us that, that I can say, you know what, dealing with this individual, yeah, like that's just a dangerous road for me, and refer it to somebody else for whom that's not a dangerous road. Right. All right. So what are some common myths about resilience?
0: I think the the biggest and most important myth is that that there's a finish line, that there's a merit badge that you can earn you know I just do these 10 things I am now resilient and life will be easy that's not true (laughs) so hate to break it to you (laughs) um but I think that myth gets in the way because we see people and we stereotype images like we talk about you know like oh well like a yoga instructor or like you know oh the the green tea and smoothie folks or whatever where we see it as a if you learn this then you have that and what what honest resilience is is that it's it's something we all have but that we all can get better at and it's a personal individual journey there is no finish line and there is no merit badge but finding the things that work for you there are there are themes Of what worked for a lot of people, but finding the magic that works for you is what's absolutely vital for resilience. And so that's why so many people struggle and fail with other kinds of programs where they, you know, here are the five easy steps to doing this and you try the five easy steps and your life doesn't change and you go, oh, what works for everybody else? It doesn't work for me. I must be screwed up. No, it's because those five easy steps weren't tailored to you. And so I think that's the the big myth that while there's, there are absolutely common things that the people should try, they are not one size fits all. And they are not one and done. So even when you find the things that work for you you are going to do them every day for the rest of your life as a practice just like bathing and just like brushing your teeth you're going to work yourself through all your resilience things and so i think that if people can approach it from that perspective it's a lot less daunting it's just sort of like oh i got to i just got to find out what works for me
1: so you and i have talked about this in the past in one of the the groups So do you think that there is a time, because I think I've experienced this, like I'll own that. I can totally be wrong. I'm very good at it. Ask my mom. So do you think that there is a point where we've worn ourselves out, right? Where the resilience work is helping, but it isn't necessarily hugely observable. That the practices maybe that have helped in the past or that have helped others are helping but the well we're digging out of is just deeper. And so I can remember at one point when I was seeing a therapist years ago, he just would say to me, okay, so your body's lying to you. So when your body says you need a nap, I want you to go for a 15 minute walk. That's it. At the end of 15 minutes, if you still want to take a nap, go take a nap. And if you're feeling like you need to stay in and not be around people, I want you to go and have a cup of coffee at Panera and be around people. You don't have to talk to anybody, but be around people for 15 minutes. At the end of that 15 minutes, if you want to go home and not talk to anybody the rest of the day, that's okay. And if your body tells you you're not hungry, I want you to eat something. It doesn't have to be something big. It can be a little gala gala apple, but eat something and at the end of 15 minutes if you're still not hungry you don't have to eat anything else and and to be quite clear at that point in my life i breathed in and out because justin told me i had to and i i went and sat for 15 minutes by myself at a panera almost every day because justin told me i had to and i went for a walk because justin told me i had to and over the course of 6 months my body stopped telling me all that stuff mm-hmm. and I felt better, but I had, at the, I, it, there was a, a really specific trauma kind of that yeah. had resulted in that. But do, do you see that, that if it's photography, walking around and taking, you know, one picture a day, is it just that it's a drip? into a bucket that's been really empty and dry for a really long time. And so it kind of just gets absorbed by the bucket before there's the actual cumulative effect of oh, my bucket's
0: full. Yes. Yeah. There's a whole lot there that I want to respond to. So let me make sure I think my thoughts through. First off, I would say that absolutely is common in that you have to just do bit by bit by bit by bit by bit. And you could feel like you're not making any progress for a long time, but it, it is changing. Your brain patterns and your and your thoughts and things are adding up. It's that drip in the bucket. The bucket is big and the drip is small. It feels like nothing. It's hardly even there. And in the beginning, it might evaporate before the next drip falls in. But over time, it will it will add up. The part about not listening to your body is absolutely good advice when you are at that point of of like really deep, risky kind of level. But for most people, I would say they don't listen to their bodies enough. That their body right. will say, you need a nap, and you go, I don't have time for a nap. Or their body will say, you need something to eat, and they're like, I don't have time for lunch, I'm just going to you know, grab something. Or right. their body will say, I'm feeling very sad and upset, and their brain will say, potato chips. <laughs> and so, but, you, but your body is actually having physical sensations that say sad. And instead of saying, well, let's explore sad, we say, let's do something that makes me just feel different. And, and really exploring the concept of, of words around physical sensation is really very interesting because so much of what we describe is sensation. Uh, tickle on your neck, your heart leapt, your throat closed up you had butterflies in your stomach, your face got all red, you had steam coming out of your ears. These are things that when we are experiencing emotion, our bodies somatically are always talking to us, but we don't always listen. And so having a moment where, where you just get curious about that and go, wow, I just had a big emotion, whatever it was, where did I feel it? How did I feel it? Did I have you know? Where in my body did that appear, and was it comfortable or uncomfortable? What what did it tell me? Did it make me want to move towards something or away from something? So, for 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 your case, I think the counterintuitive advice was very very good advice for you. For most people, I would say my starter advice would be stop and listen and ask your body because you've been really good at not listening to your body. So ask your body what do you need. And then try that first.
1: Yeah. And to be clear, like at that point in my life, I was shattered into a bajillion pieces. Yeah. So the depths of where I was, was a really, like, I will forever be grateful that, that they came in after me because I'm not sure I would have climbed out on,
0: on my own. And I'm so glad that you got the support you needed.
1: Yeah, no, I'm, I'm super grateful. And I will say like, I've seen people like there's that moment sometimes where you look in somebody's eyes and go, Oh, I have been there. Yeah. Like I know what that is and, and have given them that same advice, right. And, and gotten them referrals to people who are far more skilled than I am to help them, but to say, okay, so when I looked like that, this is, this is a start mm-hmm. because Yeah, like I'm not entirely sure what would have happened if somebody hadn't come in for me at that point in my life. I don't think I would be here today, definitely. That's scary looking back on it.
0: It's, It's terrifying. And from my seat here, where I see all you offer to the world, I think it's a tragedy. And I also know that there are so many pet professionals who feel that way too and it's just awful. It's, it's a, it's a terrible, terrible thing that so many are struggling with those kinds of feelings.
1: Yeah. Like I just, I would just say to anybody, like reach out, like I'm a stranger. You can reach out to me. Like, I don't know the same people. I'm not going to turn you out. Like I'll just reach out to somebody. Yeah. Reach out to somebody because, and if you know somebody who has that haunted look, like, don't leave them behind mm-hmm. because we're really easily left behind because it's agony. Yeah. It's not something I would wish on anybody. It was, it was really hard. It was also crazy, easy to fix, which was bizarre to me. <laughs> like It was amazing to me how in six months without meds, by the way, for those who care, not that I judge those who use meds. I think that's great. I just couldn't afford it. And didn't want to do it that way, though there was a day that <laughs> that my therapist looked me in the eye and said, okay, so if when you come back next week, things are not improved, we are going to look at other therapeutic options, <laughs> which was an excellent way of saying, yeah, we're not staying like this. Like this is not something we can maintain. Um, unfortunately, things were better, but it was amazing to me what a difference six months could make. Yes. And really how magnificently better I could feel yes. on the other end of that.
0: I think that's the key to resilience. It's amazing what a different six months can make. And I think that's what the Unleashed Resilience community is all about. It's about creating an environment where people can safely practice together. Not not people who are in need of of, of therapy. I I do not want to present myself as having skills at at that level. And i be super clear, I am not a therapist. But for most of us who are just struggling with real life stuff, just the stuff, the community is an awesome experience because we can take concepts and themes and play with them at, over an extended period of time and try things out and say like, that worked for me or that did not work for me and try to find the magic sweet sauce for each of us. And so hopefully some people will be interested in joining into our Unleashed Resilience community in the fall when it reopens. So
1: that group is just magic, Colleen, right? Like I I did, so, so you had a session last night that was on my book. I was gonna be doing it. And had kind of a rough day. And so I decided instead, I I put this up on the message board. So I've already outed myself. So just put on, like, hey, I'm sorry I missed it. I'll be there soon, next one, whatever. But tonight I decided to have a dinner salad and a beer and call it self care. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I'm planting my flag. And really in that moment, I'm not sure I would have blessed the group, right? I just, I just wanted to eat my salad and drink my beer and sit with Christopher and cuddle a pot cake and, you know, do whatever it was I was doing. So I love that there was no, that, that other people were like, go girl. Like, good. Yes. That is self-care because sometimes honestly, like I think part of the magic of resilience is just saying no. Oh yeah. Well, right. And that, that is a complete, right. And it is a complete sentence. It is. No, yeah, it stuns people. Like I love the pause after I'm like, mm, no, <laughs> it tickles me. I don't do it very often. All right, so is there anything else I should have asked you but didn't? And if so, what?
0: No, I don't think so. I think we have probably talked people's ears off enough about resilience and and what it what it means for us and what it can mean for other pet professionals. I'm really grateful to you, Tina, for coming on today and, and doing a turnabout interview with me. This was fun. So y-
1: you are magic and I can't imagine a time that I would be like, yeah, no, no, <laughs> my Colleen Pilar tube is full. Like I'm done with her. Yeah. Um, I think that the the gifts over your career that you have given the world just amazing and it's a privilege it's an honor to say that well I say you're my friend I don't I don't know if I'm your friend but I try to be your friend right like that that I can like when I'm handing your books to someone I'm like this is my friend I love her she's amazing right um and yeah so it's an honor and a, a privilege to to be asked to help or to be asked to you know even be included in your stuff. So yeah, ask away anytime. I'm very
0: grateful to you uh for that. And I have to tell you in the back of my head, I'm thinking, I've got to cut this, I've got to cut this. I can't handle this in in the podcast. But I think my growth moment is going to be trying to leave that in. So uh so there's a final revelation from me of that that was deeply uncomfortable, but I'm also very grateful to you for it. So thank you, Tina. So I love you. And you're taking care of the rest of us. Well, back at ya. I think you're awesome, Tina. So thanks for coming on Unleashed at Work and Home today. And go share your sparkles with all the people who are worthy of them. You too. Thanks for listening to Unleashed at Work and Home. Are you looking for ways to feel better fast and make it last? Do you want more actionable ideas and strategies? Would you like to connect with other amazing pet professionals who care about helping animals and creating healthy, fun work cultures? If so, you are going to love the Unleashed Resilience community. Visit ColleenPilar.com slash community for more information. I can't wait to see you there.